Visceralist Podcast. This is episode 101. Woo! Woo indeed. Uh, today's podcast, we're, we're featuring, very, very lucky to have the creators of the upcoming short film, Sick Boy. We'll get right into that right after this brief synopsis. Every day that passes in New York City, our main character, Jeff, finds a way to get through it. Maybe he's driven to find love, maybe he's driven to find a connection, or maybe he's just driven to do what he has to do to survive, however erratic or unforgivable that might be. Sick Boy is a new short film that stars Antonio Magro, Sarah Visser, and Rachel Hale. It's been the official selection of the Manchester, Maryland, and Big Apple Film Festivals, uh, was a semi-finalist at the Dumbo Film Festival, and is currently slated to be released on Director's Notes, The Daily Short Pick, uh, and on the front page of Vimeo as a staff pick premiere later this week. And today we are very lucky to have the writer-producer of this film, Connor Champley. Hello, Connor. Hey, guys. That was a really and, nice intro. <laughs> oh, oh, please. The pleasure's all mine. And uh, as well as the director, Julian Muller. Yeah, hey guys, thank you for having us. Totally, totally. Thanks for coming on. This is this is a first in visceralist uh, um, history to have a you know a pre film premiere intro with uh, with the creators. We are blessed. Let's get visceral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hit, we hit both of our slogans there. We 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 are blessed, and let's get visceral. <laughs> It's a, uh, it's an it's an interesting time to 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 be premiering this as well um, with just you know given the title of the film Sick Boy in general. There's some people that you know have reached out to us and been like, so is the main character? Does he have like? Did he get the coronavirus? Or <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, we're like, no, he didn't get it. You know, he has some other problems, but you know, it's it's just an interesting time for sure. That's that is interesting. I I hadn't considered this either because um, I was I was able to to see uh, an early cut of this um, a while back that uh, was well before Corona had had the impact that it did. And uh, yeah, that's that is interesting. Well, let me let me throw to you then, Connor, um, as the writer. Um, you know, you've written this piece that centers around this this really interesting character, Jeff. Um, can you give us a little on on the impetus of the, of this piece and and the Jeff character? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, this thing essentially, like you know, on high looking down, it it is a character study of of this guy who who lives in New York, and and we can look at it kind of as three narratives. Um, you know, a guy who is in New York, we watch him how he spends his days, you know, from his point of view. And then we also have this outside looking in point of view. Um, and like from the outside looking in, you know, you would see, you know, just this tall, good looking white guy um, always traveling from point A to point B, like, you know, millions of other people in, in this city um, that they do every day. And then the second narrative would be, you know, it's this guy who has, you know, he has a lot of problems. You start paying attention to what he's doing, you know, he has signs of addiction. He, you know, some people would call him a womanizer. He uses people. He takes advantage of, he takes advantage of people. Um, 
but because of his appearance, you know, being who he is, uh, because of his privilege, um, people often afford him the opportunities to do things um, he does day in and day out. And, you know, his flaws are often overlooked. And then, you know, the third narrative, um, if you want to look at it a little bit deeper, um, you know, he's just somebody who does, you know, he does all of the above and, you know, we have to figure it out. Is it because he's just an asshole or is it because, you know, this is mental illness or is he like simply trying, um, to survive? And so we try to figure this out and as it rolls out for the viewer, um, you know, we see what he does, what he's able to get away with. Um, and because he's just, you know, he's just this, this charming person, um, on the, on the surface, but then when you get right. deep, you kind of find the truth behind it. And so, you know, the imp- inspiration really behind it came and started, um, just from, you know, a New York level, uh, there's so many people we pass every single day and you really want to know, you know, what is that one person specifically going through that you're not going through? Um, some people have advantages, some people, you know, are much more, um, you know, have much more access than other people. Some people right, are, right. you know, on the street, etc. And you want to know, like, how did they get there? And, and is there a story behind, uh, behind what they're putting down as a front? And, and so, you know, Julian and I originally, um, I think he, he had just gotten married and, you know, we hadn't seen each other for, you know, a month or so. And we actually sat down and we had previously done, uh, another short film up in the Catskills with our with our friend Ari Capados um, called uh, Wild Heart, and you know, so we had worked together already, and we were just like kind of you know picking at each other's brains about you know it's good to see you. What are you working on? He kind of was sharing this thing and this experimental type of work that he wanted to do within like the New York City vibe, and. I mm-hmm. love that, like just that landscape in general of, you know, using New York in films, because as much as it is overused and saying like New York as a character, it really is. And it's just like this real surreal thing and um, bringing it to life, not only on film, but bringing it to life on like 16 millimeter. And, and so like, you know, we started kicking around ideas and I think he went to the bathroom and by the time he got back, I already kind of had some sort of a templated outline Um you know, in terms of like, this, this could be interesting. Um, and I was, we weren't really set yet on if this was something we wanted to work on together, but, um, I knew that going away from it, I was going to be going back to him with, you know, some, some words on the page. And, um, it was at that point where, uh, when I actually started getting the idea down, um, I pitched it to the, the main actor of the film, Antonio, um, who's a lovely fellow from the UK. He was on the show, the alienist not too long ago. And, and we had, um, a a nice like rapport back and forth, um, on a number of number of things. And I, I, I just remember sending him this outline through Instagram messenger. And I was like, I was like, what do you think of this? And, you know, like sending them 18 paragraphs in a row. And if, it, if it was like somebody else, like a, like a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend sending you that much information, they'd definitely break <laughs> up with you. Uh, but, and then he was just, I, I waited for a response and he was just like, I love it. Like, let's go. And, and then from there, like, I think the script started at like 38, 40 pages. And then pretty soon we narrowed it down to like, you know, 18 or something where we really got it tight. And then, but at that time, that was when I came to Julian and I was like, I think we have something here. Would you, 
is this something you would want to do? Um, I already kind of cheated and talked to the main actor before, <laughs> before I talked to you. <laughs> uh, but is this something you would want to be a part of? And, and, you know, we all met and, and Julian just brought some, brought a vision to the table that none of us had really anticipated and really, really made us excited and brought it to this new level. And, and, um, and from there, you know, we just started, as soon as we started turning pages, every draft that we went through, Antonio started becoming more and more of this character. Um, and it really started just becoming its own thing outside of anybody's one uh, contribution, you know? So it was really, really cool. Um, but anyways, that was just my rant. Um, but I mean... No, it, no, that, that that's great. It's, it's great when that comes together. And uh, sorry, I should have said up top, like we're going to really get into... Um, into this piece um and also the behind the scenes you know i'm i'm really interested just generally as a as a filmmaker myself in the city on the nitty-gritty of of producing a, a work like this um in the city also we just for listeners will uh sort of start by talking generally um about the plot plot points etc um but we will be getting into spoilers in the latter part of this episode, um, just so we can really get into it. Um, I'll put a timestamp in the show notes as to when the spoilers start. So don't worry. Um, but just wanted, wanted to bring that up. Uh, Julian, um, yeah, just hey. want to swing, swing over to you. What, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on the impetus? And, and it seems like you got, you had a great connection with Connor working with him before. Um, what yeah. is this piece for you? Speak on it. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, um, yeah, like Connor said, I think, you know, we had worked together We're you know, we're, we're friends and, you know, we, you know, I, I love Connor's writing style. I think he's a very talented writer and, you know, our history involves like him sending me some scripts and me giving notes and us just kind of like bouncing creative material back and forth. So we have a good working relationship. And um, when we made our first short, Wild Heart, um, it was kind of a, you know, fun experience where we kind of went, you know, up to the Catskills on a like uh, snowy wintry weekend. It just made a really cool piece. And, and I think that experience kind of formed this bond between us, like this creative bond. And then when we reconnected and we're talking about, you know, maybe a, a new piece that we wanted to work on, I think, um, you know, something that had been itching for me was a desire to tell a story about New York. Mm -hmm. And the people in New York specifically um, and how, you know, I think and without getting into too much detail about the, the short itself, you know, how there's always kind of something under the surface with people uh, in the city right. where you don't, you know, you, you come across some, someone and you don't really know their story or what's going on in their lives. But, you know, I think there's this idea that there's always something deeper and everyone has their own narrative going on. So I think that was sort of just the starting point, the kicking off point of like wanting to tell a story where we could peel the layers back of a character in, in New York city. Um, you know, I've lived here for about 10 years and New York has, even before I lived here, New York has always been like romantic for me. So being able to put something on film about New York and about the people here was, was really important to me. I was um, in a music video of Julian's too. Just wanted to throw that out there. That's true. <laughs> oh. he was. What, what video is this? What band? What video? Uh, 
This was for a rapper, Trinidad James. Oh, had, yeah. Yeah, he had a song called Rikers, and we shot the video in Brooklyn. Look, look, and look, look. Yeah, he, he, was like, he was like, hey, man, I need you to be a cop, and you're going to arrest Trinidad James. And oh, I was no. like, and my, first, and my first question was, do I have to shave my beard? And, <laughs> and, and he said no. And then I actually went in, I started doing my character research development, where I was like getting into my role. And I was like, well, you know, if you're a detective, you can keep, you know, your beard and you can dress like a civilian and all this stuff. So I showed up in like this, like d- undercover detective get up and, and, uh, and then we showed up on set and, and, um, the other, the other guy, Dennis, who, who played the main cop that actually spoke because he was a professional actor and very, very talented. And I'm just the, the, you know, the, the bodied person and taking up space in the background. I was showing him, you know, I was, you know, the, the, the army experience that I've had from my past years of being a veteran, um, right. showing them how to, how to exit a staircase and how to hold a weapon correctly. And you know, oh, nice. that's I, I think you fell back into that pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Yeah. And people were just like, Oh shit, are these, are these, is, are these real cops? And I was like, <laughs> I was thinking for a second, I was like, yo, if if real cops drive down the street, we need somebody to like tell them what's up. <laughs> I'm picturing I'm picturing you dressed as Columbo in some really ratty like ratty jacket trench coat, but then doing these like wild cool like you know surveil the area. Okay, go go go! Like, <laughs> yeah, awesome. oddly enough, it was it was exactly what I wear anyways. It was a hooded sweatshirt with the uh, uh, with a with a badge draped over my black t shirt, and then we all we That's we got true. like fake pistols put on our sides, um. And, um, <laughs> and 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 you know uh, Julian's DP is riding on rollerblades, doing like reverse shots of of Trinidad running down the streets, and I look at I I just remember that day being it was so hot, and I was sweating, and Trinidad James had on just the longest jacket, and like. Like it was, yeah, I think it was I, like I, a fur jacket, honestly, and it was like ninety degrees on a summer day in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. and we're and we're on this rooftop, and he's just plugging away like a machine. I've never seen, you know, Trinidad James yeah, is such a, such a talented artist, and and I I just watched him at work, and Julian just like collaborating with him, and I was just my my biggest first my, the first takeaway I had though was just like how is this guy not sweating. he's a professional that's That's right they know yes he He doesn't sweat (laughs) he glistens um well jay i want to swing to you but i I guess i want to give just so we can because i'm really eager to start talking about about this piece so i i want to give a quick summary of it from or at least my take um uh, on the overall plot um i'll spare the uh the spoilery stuff um for now but you know, my t- that that is a good podcaster move where I say, "Jay, I'm I'm going to go to you," and then I take it over. I'm actually going to do my thing for a little while. But, <laughs> Such a good host. Huh? <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> but essentially, it's yeah, it's it's this guy who's kind of a, a scumbag, um, and that's readily apparent pr- pretty much from the start. Um, he uh, he's uh, showering at, at a young lady's place. Uh, they clearly spent the night together, and then they go go for brunch. And he couldn't be more dismissive of her at the brunch. 
And, you know, it's just, yeah. So you, you get a, an initial read on this guy. Um, okay. New York scumbag, pretty, pretty good looking, you know, tall, cool. Okay. We know that. But then it shifts gears into him leaving that and him spending his day um, kind of just aimlessly, aimlessly sort of wandering around, which, you know, that that's a New York thing too. Um, without, you know, people like just kind of wandering around, taking in the sights, but then... You know, it take it does take a, a bit of a darker turn, and and he does meet a, another young lady, and you know, I I will say I I thought that, and this isn't a spoiler, I I thought that it was going down the road of like, okay, this this guy's you know a serial killer or something like something awful that's gonna gonna happen, and so I'm getting like more like okay, like it was great. I really appreciated that Connor, you didn't tell me what this was gonna be. You didn't give me any any info on it like the first time i i saw it and it was good because like when it finally did there was like this reveal i felt like it opened up the piece in a really really interesting way that was that i never would have seen coming and i thought was really cool yeah um, so uh it, it, i mean jay, no it, it it for sure and i mean just to piggyback off of that before sorry jay i feel like i feel like the inside joke for this whole thing now should just be like <laughs> and now we're turning it over to jay and then we just keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah that's like the that's like the what's up with that snl sketch where they have lindsey buckingham on all the time but never get to him but yeah yeah and I, I mean that's that's one of your favorite sketches isn't it jay sorry go ahead connor <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just finish your thought, Cotter. Uh, promise, man. Uh, it, but I mean, just to reiterate what you're talking about, I mean, it, it you just you you want to hate this guy so much, and I think a lot of what you are taught is, you know, a lot of people think you need to make your protagonist a likable person or somebody that, you know, you can relate to. And, and I, I think that there are a lot of things that we see and we can relate to on any kind of level, no matter who the person is, like they'll do something that you can agree with. But I wanted to like, you know, you, 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 you go on this journey with them where you just start noticing these patterns. And I think one of our goals was to show the outcome in the beginning where you know, he, like you said, he goes to, he goes to brunch with this woman, but you see him wake, it starts with them waking up. Um, or it starts with him, like, you know, in the shower and putting on his clothes and stuff. Right. But then, you know, you think when you, and then when you, then when you get towards the end and you see him meeting another person, it's almost like the reverse of the journey of, um, how all this stuff happens. And you think that it's going to be going down, um, the same kind of and resulting in the same kind of outcome as uh, the beginning of the film. And then that's really where we wanted to, you know, play with the structure and play with the narrative and try to come up with something fresh to really make people um, question what makes them criticize people and make them question uh, judging books by their cover and, and who they trust and who they um, who they uh, afford this type of manner and behavior to. Um, you know, because there's some people out there in the city specifically that if they did anything like this, you know, they would get called out for it immediately, you know, and, right. and, um, other people, uh, they would get harassed by the police just for being out in this particular neighborhood. And it's just like, there's right, a lot of right. things that this guy can afford to do 
um, because of who he is. And I think he's very aware of, of his place in culture today. And, and like, you know, he's very aware of his privilege and I think he, he doesn't, he doesn't take advantage of it, but, um, I think what we come to realize is he's utilizing that as a, as a skill to, um, uh, to, 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 to be who he, to get by and, 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 and you could even call it, you know, survival or however you want to, um, but without saying too much, I think it's just, um, it's just, just a really interesting way to look, uh, to look at somebody's life, um, from the dis, just pissing everybody off to making people feel something that they, that they typically don't feel, um, in terms of, um, judging the book by its cover. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's definitely very, very savvy about, about his position. And, and um, by the way, if I start rambling, I promised, I promised myself I wouldn't ramble. We did this podcast or we did this, uh, what do you call it? Um, we did like a Maryland film festival had, Q&A. had a Q and a, and we basically had like two minutes to talk a piece um, with like a, you know, five other really great filmmakers as well. But, you know, you're just, you get, they, they, they ask you one question and you're just like in a, in a matter of 30 seconds, you're like, well, this is the inspiration and this is everything. And you, yeah. know, you just start <laughs> rambling and I'm just like, I'm not going to do that again. So, nah, if I, yeah, so cue, the, is, cue the music. I'm just giving you, I'm giving you the permission. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. That's your uh, rap music. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, so no, I'll this, get, then I'll get Kanye on you. Turn the music off. <laughs> this is this is the perfect uh, venue for that. No, see, I don't 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 feel like you have to have to be sl- slick with it like that. Um, uh, we're we're ha- like happy to to get into it, but but Jay, I, I do want your your read on this because you you were telling me like it 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 wasn't at all what you expected. What 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 were your thoughts on this? Well, actually, uh, yeah, it definitely wasn't what I was, what I was expecting, but I didn't. I didn't have any information going in either, and I kind of like that as well. Um, I did. <clears throat> sorry, when I when I first started, I was, you know, had a lot of questions. It was like, well, who puts their pants on like right out of the dryer immediately? Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> like, a great point. <laughs> I was like, what's he doing? And then like the way he was like creeping around the cabinet, dry it. <laughs> oh, it's it, it does feel nice. That's true. Yeah, but it's, it's like, warm, what's his rush? Like, yeah, yeah. And he was looking so suspicious, just like creeping in the cabinets. Um, but then, like the whole, I don't know. If, at first, I sort of liked him, and I thought that it was going to be like he was playing a game at at that brunch scene, like he was being playful, playful and flirtatious. But then it just wasn't at all. And so then after that, I was like, oh, okay, now I don't know what's coming next. And then it was just up and down. I got um, stressed out myself like a couple times. I think during what the interaction, the, like, the interaction with the second woman was stressing me out. I was like, oh man, what's going to happen here? What's he going to do? That, that, was, just... that, was, that was my girlfriend, by the way. Just a nice little writer's note. Uh, in real oh. life <laughs> when we were casting we were like viv you that that's viv and my dog um well wait no i think jay's referring to the the other oh woman the, i thought you were talking about him harassing the woman on the street my bad oh no harass <laughs> yeah the harassing on the street i was i was like that was pretty good too i would have kept walking as well it's like man now this guy's just a jerk then when i saw him right but um it definitely by the end i don't know exactly how i feel about him but it 
it did reveal a lot. And, and I think it just left me with, with more questions, but I, I enjoyed it. It was, I think you did it like an excellent job of telling like a, a pretty like detailed and nuanced story in a short amount of time. So, so Julian, we need to Thank edit you. out the, we need to edit out the, the dryer pants scene. <laughs> so, no, but that, that, that in and of itself is like such a New York moment as well, because like not a lot of people have their washer dryers in their kitchens mm-hmm. and, you know, you get people from the Midwest, you get people in California, like they see this stuff and they're just like, they're like, why is the, why is the laundry room in the, in the kitchen? And you're just like, it's, this is how it is. You have, you have smaller places, you know, you have constant sirens. You just like, it's all like just a different way of, you know, people when they experience it here, um, they know it the second that they see it and that's what's normal here. Yeah, totally. And that, that's one thing that, and this, this is not a, not a spoiler either, but it seemed to me like this, this woman who has the first apartment has this washer dryer, uh, clothes washer dryer in her kitchen. Um, probably pretty well off. Um, the second woman, uh, offers to pay for his drinks, uh, before he even has a chance to ask. And then there's later talk about how expensive the drinks are. I wonder if, you know, as a, you know, this guy's a a well-seasoned New York scumbag. Um, and I, I use that term sort of, sort of, uh, facetiously, but there's a certain type of guy who knows how to do this sort of stuff, you know? Yeah. He's got a hustle to him. For sure. Exactly. Exactly. So, is he? Were, was this an intentional thing where you like, you want to show that he knows what type of women to go after? You know, he's not going after like you know someone at like a like a skater bar who you know or or you know ki- skater girls in the park who are just you know hanging out. He's going after well dressed, you know, seemingly well put together women. And, and, and Julian, if you if you want to take yeah, that. I think. Um... I think you're very perceptive of kind of the hints and little um, situations that we chose to show. And I think our choice in doing that was very much to show that this is a guy who more or less has like uh, like a method. You know, he's got his hustle and he knows how to do it. Right. And um, he was very much like profiling specific kinds of people to get a desired like outcome. Mm-hmm. And I think that all comes from this idea of like, whatever you do in New York, you kind of have to get really good at it to survive. Mm, so, yeah he has become very good at what he does. Um, and, and in this particular story, it is, you know, finding women to go home with, um, for various reasons. And so he knows like the type of women that he's looking for. And you kind of see it in the park, you know, when he sees his second, the, the second woman, you know, he knows exactly what he's looking for. Right, right. And he makes, you know, he makes very quick calculations in his mind of, you know, this is somebody I'm going to spend some time working to see where it goes. Yeah. And and the second woman, she, uh, you know, she was played by Sarah Wisser. The first one was played by Rachel Hale. And they're just both tremendous, tremendous actors. And they were were great. Phenomenal talent. I mean, we got so lucky. um, Both of them, when they, like, when we were going through and we were casting for this, um, I think, 
we were we had gone through a few auditions and then as soon as like you know sarah walked into the room and just like said her name and uh started reading the lines julian and i just looked at each other and we were like this you know this is the perfect you know she couldn't she couldn't have been better and just killed it and um and when we got uh and then when we got rachel's read as well it was like the exact same thing we both just like one word we were like that's it um and you know after going through and sifting through um as as frustrating as casting can be because sometimes it has nothing to do with how talented they are it's just are they the right person for this role and right, um right. and then when you see it you just you totally recognize it but um but anyways like going to that to that bar scene um you really get a sense of of this is a very calculated thing and 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 the jeff character knows exactly what he's doing before he even gets there and like you can't even really see it, but like the first conversation they're actually having, they're playing a drinking game where it's, mm. un, it's unlosable for the person that's playing. Yeah. It. Not to and, cut you off, but I, I think you get the sense that he's like been here before he's done this before. And that's kind of like what we wanted to show, you know? Yeah. Right. And you, you know, it's this, it's a thing that he can get away with this type of, um, I can essentially take this woman out and she can, feel like she almost owes me at the end of it. And just, it's, it's this kind of like entitlement um, that makes you, I mean, it just makes anybody just watching it. Um, if you knew the truth behind who a person really was, it makes you cringe. Um, but the way that they mask it and the way that they disguise it, it, uh, it makes, you know, and this happens to so many of, of my, you know, so many of our friends that just, that live here, that go on the right. like, dates, dates gone wrong, um, people that were not the person who they said they would be, um, you know, and it's just not, it's not even just like, you know, going out on Tinder dates. It's people that, you know, you meet on the street. Um, that still happens, I think in 2020, uh, for some reason, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, 20 uh, January to the end of March, 2020. Right. Right. And I think it's just, it just shows, um, he, he puts out stuff enough charm to make the person like him enough to feel like they can trust him. And, you know, you see this in a lot of, you know, these, these horror stories and all of this, you know, and it doesn't come down to that bad of it, but it, it or that, um, that type of outcome, but it right. is still a tragedy in terms of like, like what he does and who he is. Um, and this person's probably going to be scarred for life. And, and, you know, the woman before is going to be scarred for life or, or, you know, this may have happened to her once or twice. And now it's essentially like her trust for strangers is completely done. Um, but the, the, the whole approach that he has and the smile he can put on and, and the, the whole facade that he has where it's just like, I am the shit and people gravitate towards that energy naturally, but, you know, and, and he can he can hold a conversation and 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 really give people a vibe that he is a good guy. And then the second that the second that you turn you know away for one second, you know he can screw you over. So, but, um, yeah. yeah. But I I also want to say one thing that I think is important to just put out there is that you know we also show this character doing some good things, and he's not like um, people are complicated. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. And you know, this guy has good qualities as well as some bad qualities. But I think what we were trying to show is like the circumstance that could make somebody resort to a certain type of lifestyle. 
but it's complicated um, and not, and people aren't like pure good or pure bad. That's a really good point. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that that's great. And I thought uh, this, uh, Jay. I know you had some questions you wanted to get in, but I thought going back to the, uh, I guess, part of the structure and like him really honing in uh, his skill that you know he's had to, to develop. I thought it was really clever where Connor, as you said, he has this drinking game with the second girl at the bar that involves uh, the thing. What's my name? you know, each sort of making up their own life via like some sort of improv game. And then he's sort of like, uh, you know, boom, uh, you owe me a drink. And then she sort of goes along with it because he is really charismatic. But, you know, kind of, you know, that's to your thing about it, it's, it's almost like a closed loop because that's yeah. the first issue with, with the first woman at the diner. She, she's saying, what's my name in a way far more serious context because she's now been with this guy oh my God, is it possible he actually doesn't know my name? And then, you know, we take it from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and it's actually, it's really interesting because I had seen some uh, some interview with, um, I think the guy's name is Neil Strauss. He wrote that, just that, oh, yeah. that, that sleazy book, The Game, about being, you know, pickup artist. And, and he played, oh, he yeah. actually played that game with somebody at like a convention on stage. And, you know, the whole thing is just like, I want you what, to tell. What is the game, actually? Sorry. The, the, you ask somebody six questions in a row, and all you do is, I want you to lie six times in a row, no matter what, no matter what question I ask you. So what, if you say, like, you know, where are you from? Clearly, they're from Mars. If you say, you know, like, how many children do you have? She says, you know, 11. Because she's, she's going so obvious and playing along. But then that's when he totally flips it and then pretends like he kind of dropped the game subject. And it's just like, have you played this game before? And she's like, no. Um, Cause she thinks that it's like not part of it. And then he's like, are you, are you fucking with me? And she's like, no, but then there she goes. She lost the game because he's able right. to just totally flip that. And, um, and it, it would, it just seemed like such like a weird, like sleazy way, but it's like, you know, I thought it was like the perfect icebreaker for this kind of guy um, because it's something that he can win every time and it's something that he could rely on. And, you know, for this particular story and this particular character, it's something that, you know, he, it's, it's as much of, um, uh, it, it, it's not a playful thing. It's, it's more of a tool. Totally. Totally. So, uh, Jay, Jay, why don't you jump in there? Yeah. Even, I think I noticed like at the end of that interaction between them at the bar, um, like after they took the shot, he sort of paused and it looked like they were both silent and just sort of thinking. And, and then later on they were still having a good time. And then when she went to the bathroom and he was just like, you know, he had that moment of, of, of choice right there. Right. Like what's, what's he going to do? Jay, Jay, sorry. You're, you're yeah. Jay, you were breaking up a little bit. Just uh, ask that again. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, so then at, at that point when she goes to the bathroom, right, it seems like he's been having, it seemed like he was having like a genuinely fun time at that point, up to that point. Right. Then it was she's she goes, and then the opportunity presents itself for him, I guess, to to go one way, or he could just you know not do that, and I guess maybe like see where it goes with her. And I thought like that was the point that sort of stressed me out. Actually, I was like, oh man, what's he gonna do? And I really wanted him to just stay. But uh, right. 
but he didn't. I think that was that was the part that stressed me out, and that was also where I was like, man, he could. I don't know. I feel like it was almost like he could have, just like maybe that could have been like a step on him, a step for him, like in the right direction to start changing his life. But right, you know, he he didn't make that choice. Yeah, yeah and you, you can see. Sorry, you can see in his face that it's like a devil on one shoulder, angel on the other. Um, and that's a, it's a pivotal moment in the, in the piece. Um, and maybe we should just, should we get into the, to the spoilers at this point or? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I think, I think we're there. I think, I think we're there. So, okay, so listeners. Ear, earmuffs, earmuffs, uh, <laughs> uh, people who haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. So Connor, why, why don't you introduce the, the twist or, or get into it? Well, I think what the or twist why, is. Why that moment is a double on the shoulder. And well, what, what, what ends up happening is, you know, he, he leaves the bar with, you know, after having this great interaction with, with, uh, with the characters that name is actually Leanne. Um, but you know, we, we cut around it. So it actually sounds like, you know, her name is Samantha, but, um, he leaves the bar, you know, he steals her purse, um, and essentially, you know, takes all the money out he throws it away. He, he grabs a, garbage bag heads out, you know, towards a, a spot over toward, towards uh, grand central takes a, It seems like he's doing this big getaway kind of, you know, big kind of criminal thing um, where you are kind of suspense forward into wondering like what this type of machine is like that, like this type of person is. And, and then, and then you pull back and then you realize that he's been, you know, setting up his sleep spot um, because he is a homeless man. And, and from there, you're just kind of left pondering. And, and I think looking at the character, you know, on high, um, it, it, he, because of the circumstance that he's in, I genuinely believe that he doesn't think, he doesn't think that he thinks it might be something that is not permanent in which he could overcome it. Um, he, he has probably family that he could reach out to that he, that he screwed over that lives in another state somewhere. Um, but he refuses to, because he has too much pride. Uh, there's other elements where I think regardless of where he's at in, in terms of society, um, he still sees himself as above other people. Um, Mm. and he, he, because of, the way that he was raised in this, in this, um, in this type of generation of, of people who need things now and people who, um, he relies on, on his charm and he relies on the things that people liked him for in terms of how he can survive. And that's how, and if he doesn't go home with these women, he can't upkeep his, his, uh, he can't upkeep his hygiene. He can't, he, right. uh, he can't smell good. He can't, make this false sense of who he is, um, to, to allow himself to, uh, to open up to women and, and, and have them see him as normal to begin with. So it's like, he needs both ends of the pie to end and actually do this terrible thing. And in, in his eyes is survival. Um, but you know, like she doesn't know that about him. And I think this to, to Jay's point, there's a moment where he kind of looks both ways and he wants to make a decision and, I think he can't face the truth of his own insecurity, which is the status of, of, of who he is as a person. And the minute right. that he would have to admit this to somebody, 
it would break him and he would lose his mystique. It would make him lose his, this whole, um, uh, this whole fantasy he has in his head um, and he would just completely break apart. And so it's like, he needs to leave the person and hurt the person before they can get close to him. And she was the closest to getting to his heart than anybody else. And that was when he said, I have a choice to make and I'm just going to screw this person open over and let him off easy because I don't, I don't want their help. I don't need their help. I'm doing this on my own and I'm just going to write this night off and take what I can get. And I'm just going to do it again tomorrow when I don't feel anything again. Um, and so I think Jay, also what you pointed out, um, in that final scene is kind of like the, the most important part of the story, right? It's this tragedy about this guy who's presented with a choice. And instead of choosing the, the path that might actually lead to, some help, a little bit of salvation, maybe a, a real genuine connection, maybe a way potentially out of this type of lifestyle um, to be with somebody who might be able to help him. Um, but he chooses to throw all that away for the quick fix. So this is a guy who's not ready to accept someone into their life. He's not ready to let his guard down. And I think that's kind of like the tragedy of his character is that, you know, he, in this moment chooses something that is actually self-destructive, which is something we all do. You know, it's something that's in certain moments that's hard not to do. So we were shining a light on that, that, you know, given a choice, people don't always choose what you think would be the best option for them because, because of whatever reason, because of their own blindness, because of their own, issues or addictions or other things they choose to do things that aren't always like you know in their best interest so i think that's like kind of what i was interested in showing is like these difficult situations that we find ourselves in that a lot of people find themselves in and it's not it's hard it's you can't always judge someone for doing that because we all do it yeah, I th- I think going stay, sticking with this scene, one one of the probably my favorite little interaction of the whole piece was uh, while they're hanging out and and again like like Jay pointed out, it seems like they're having a good time. Um, I believe they're talking about potentially adopting a dog, and she recommends getting a rescue dog, and he says something to the effect of you know there's no charity for old unwanted abused humans, and then she says it's not the dog's fault. The implication being that, you know, it is, uh, you know, if there's a human who's in shabby circumstances, it is their fault. And, uh, you know, I saw that as it's an interesting way, you know, especially with what's going on now. It's it's maybe unconscious that, that she's doing it, but it that and, you know, with the homeless epidemic, or I don't know if epidemic is the right technical word, but it's a way for people to rationalize they're not really caring about about people in those circumstances. And well, I, I thought, we all, yeah, no, I thought, yeah, just the, the very last shot is he puts, uh, he finds a safe space near grand central, but his sign that he puts out near, near the hat says, I have no one, which is interesting because he's not, it's not that I have no money. Please let me some money. It's that I have no one. And again, it's, it seems like he feels abandoned. And so maybe to what Connor mentioned earlier, like maybe he does, I don't know. Do you feel that he feels he's justified 
in doing this because, you know, he has no one. I feel unwanted. You know, people treat dogs better than, you know, this is, I don't necessarily agree with his perception, but I can see how he got there. I don't know. Julian, do you want to? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I think what, what you said is, is exactly right. I think, um, he feels definitely abandoned by people in his life. Um, and he's kind of unwilling to let anyone in, even given the opportunity to do so. Right. So I think, you know, we, we obviously don't know his entire backstory, you know, within the confines of this particular short, but there's pain there. Right. So I think, you know, we, we see him in a particularly difficult spot. And I think he feels that people don't give him a shot. And if he didn't live this lifestyle, he'd, he, he'd be nothing. So he feels like he has to. Um, and I think the bigger picture is that we all do have these like biases of people that we see on the street, which is kind of what I was getting at earlier is like, we don't know every, we don't know people's stories. Um, and when we see them on the street, whatever they look like, whether they look like a rich guy or a poor guy or late, you know, rich woman or poor woman, we don't actually know what their story is. Um, so looks can be deceiving and people have these like implicit biases that they use as they move throughout the world. So we were trying to like pick away at that a little bit. Um, that, that, no, totally. And I, I really think that there's, there's another part to it as well, where I think, um, I think he victimizes himself a little bit as well, uh, where he kind of, this is the thing that he's going through and he doesn't want to share it with anybody. Um, and it's so much easier for him to feel bad for himself. Um, and, and say that it's impossible to get himself out of it, um, to make himself feel better. Um, and it's so easy for him just to like reach out and he could have asked, he could have asked the, uh, Samantha, you know, and told her like, I don't have a place to stay. Um, and she could have, said, Hey, I can help you. Um, but that type of thing, he, I, I don't think he wants at this point of his life is ready to, um, surrender his vulnerability to somebody. He's not ready to need anyone else but himself. Exactly. And, and it's really interesting, um, because something that did happen that, you know, we shot that last scene, that was the last, the last day of the shoot. It was like, I think what time was it, Julian? It was like, was that 11 p.m.? Like midnight um, or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. we were trying to we were trying to keep the crew in um, below the below their 12 hours um, to avoid overtime, <laughs> but uh, they right. they were they were incredibly t- like I I don't know what we would have done without our crew. They were so great, but um, we set this last shot up and and this was a spot that you know Julian had 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 found and and it was it was surreal how perfect the the location was and and as soon as we set up and we had cameras going, there were homeless people in the area. And one of which um, stood up and, 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 and started yelling at us and was like, you know, this isn't a a spectacle. Like this is, Mm. you know, are you making fun of homeless people? Like, is this funny to you? And, and we're like, Uh, no, this is not funny at all. Um, And, and essentially, you know, like anybody that we interacted with, like the, 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 
when you if you ever like look in the in the middle of the film um jeff actually gives money to uh a couple people on the street and those were real homeless people as well um but we you know we paid them and we were just like you know we if you if this is something you would want to do we just want to respect your space and they they were totally about it um but you know like there's different elements and different types of people that that are on the streets and and we really wanted to honor it and not you know let them we wanted to let them know that this is something that you know could happen to people and 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 we really wanted to to draw that question um you know what would you do if you were in this guy's shoes would you have become this type of monster or this type of uh womanizer or this type of you know kind of like sociopath borderline anything or would you you know like what how, right, how, right. how based on how you were raised or based on like the circumstances that are afforded you or whatever mental illness you might be coming through um you know what what do you think you would do so that's the question we wanted to pose but it was just a really interesting way to to end that shot but it, it i remember being really uncomfortable even though like you know everything worked itself out and then also just on a positive note like i think we were like one shot away from getting everything done and then i can't remember who but like right across the street uh, like, I think it was like, it wasn't Bieber. It was somebody else. Like Harry Styles was like running, like their car showed up at, at the Grand Central <laughs> and like, and like yeah. 8,000 screaming, girls, like ran outside. It was so insane. You know what? That <laughs> would have been right around the time he was hosting SNL, I think. Yeah. And we were just like, it was definitely possible. Yeah. And it was like, this is, this is, this is a sign that we're, you know, we should probably wrap this up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, Jay, I, I want to get your your read on um, you know the reveal that he, this is a homeless person. Um, what, what what was your thought on on that ultimate reveal? Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. So I was I was paying attention um, and and trying to see like you guys showed him switching outfits a, a few different times and just in between um, the two sections where he was where he was with the with the women. Um, and I saw that and I was like, oh, is this the same day? I was like, no, it's a different day. He's wearing different clothes. I was like, okay, these things are happening. I was like, but it's going, going pretty fast. I don't know where he lives, but then I didn't think he was homeless at all, partly because of that scene, um, that you just described where he was talking to the two homeless people and gave them some money and was just chatting with them. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay. So he wouldn't you know, if he's homeless, he's probably not giving somebody, you know, a homeless person money himself. So, so I don't think so. But then as it went on and then when he stole, you know, when he stole the purse and then went behind the dumpster and did what he did, it was, it was, um, it was definitely surprising, but, but not like completely off, like out of left field, I would say. Um, just because I, I think what started to tip me off was when he went into the store and asked to wash his hands. Um, I was like, oh, all right. I was like, okay, I kind of see what's happening now. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it was, it was, it was tricky um, for me, but I think it was a big payoff. I, I liked it a lot actually. And it made me, I don't know. I think it gave me a little more empathy for him in, in the end just to, just to see, you know, how he was living. And that was his way of, of surviving in, in New York city. And, and, and that was, you know, just his, his strategy. Um, right. 
but yeah, it was it was good. I mean, you guys did a good job of like just holding holding on to that until the very end. Yeah, I, and I think yeah, thank you. What just moving a little? You're, yeah, thank you. You're, you're, wait, did you say you're welcome to me or? I would, I would never say you're welcome to you. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you both, um, just push, pushing aside a little bit or broadening the this world that, that you've created um, about this guy's life, because he, he, he is fascinating, and he, he's definitely one of those characters. I mean, there's not a lot of characters in this piece, but you can't take your eye off him. You know, you like, what is he going to do? Even when I was rewatching this earlier today, you know, it's, it's still like, is he going to, like I'm picking up on little things that he's going to do. So I, I guess I want your thoughts on this guy's broader world. Um, for instance, I, I have a, like a couple questions I jotted down, like who are these guys' parents? Where are they? Um, given this guy's promiscuity, does he, does he have a kid out there? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Connor, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I kind of touched on that a little bit before, but as we were starting to explore the the backstory with this guy and 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 how this thing could could happen, um, I don't think he sees himself as a homeless person. I think he sees himself as like he he almost prides himself on what he on what he can get away with. Um, but but at the same time, you know, he still does have empathy for the people that are going through it with him. You know, like he mm. he he has he has some money in his pocket. Um, he wants to share it with other people because they pay it forward to him, but he at the same time can't grasp the reality of, of, uh, that this is, you know, if you ever watch like mind hunter, you know, one of the things that serial killers never want to do is admit that the, this is the type of person that they are. Cause in their head, they, they normalize it. And, and so I think he normalizes a lot of, 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 of what he does. Um, and, like I was touching on, I think he does have people that he can reach out to. I think he's burned a lot of bridges. I think he, uh, his mom doesn't know where he is. I don't know if he has children. I think one of the things that would essentially happen is he'll have somebody like shake him into like shake him into clear, a moment of clarity where it's just like, you need to get put in your place and you need to get help and I, you need to come with me now. Um, right. cause he won't change unless somebody literally forces him to do so like an intervention. And, um, he probably came to New York because this is the place where you can get money. Um, or, or like, you know, you, you, you know, the, there's constant, you know, people are hustling everywhere. And like, we love the, that kind of juxtaposition of people hustle in New York just to survive no matter what it is that they do. And there was this weird statistic that we read about um, before we even started making the film. And that's, you know, like 80% of people that live in New York are one paycheck away from not being able to pay their rent, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just like, if something happens and you were on the street, like, what would you do? So it's like this, this guy, I think he came here um, for whatever opportunity. It didn't work out. Um, I think he just didn't have what you know it, it it i think this is the 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 culmination of of what how mental illness and how something can explode into something so much worse at this crossroads in his life where he either gets help or he becomes the person on the street that is helpless um and and everybody wonders how he got there um because you know he is making his own decisions he is you know choosing 
to carry himself in a certain way, but he is appealing to people. And um, a lot of, you know, the, the female audience that, that, that saw this as well, like they, one of the first responses um, have always have been, I've either they've dated some, gone on a date with somebody that they thought was almost like this because of mm. certain conversations that they had, or they had a friend that went out with somebody like this, that it, it just was a, it was a, a blip in their radar that they were just more just like joked about later on. But you could tell that, you know, this type of thing, it's like, did I really, you know, go down to that level? But at the same time, it's like, no, because you, 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 you connected with somebody on the surface and then, you know, you realized how different you were later on. Um, and so I don't know, in a nutshell, I think he's going to have to get help, but he's not going to do it himself. And it will have to be forced upon by people that he's, you know, by the people whose, whose bridges he's burned, um, uh, along the way. Yeah, uh, Julian, can you win? Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting that you asked if he had a kid out there. Um, you know, th- as something that we did as part of the prep work before shooting, um, that was really important to Antonio, um, was you know really nailing down Jeff's backstory and who this guy was. So we we spent, I mean, hours on the phone. We hung out and you know grabbing drinks, and we really like hashed out you know, who this guy was and what his backstory was. And to tell you the truth, I can't remember all the details, but there were a lot. And basically, um, Jeff had kind of, he, he had a, a girlfriend. Um, he had a mm-hmm. kid with that girl and, um, he was abusive. And I think one night he, uh, the, the girl, they had gotten into an altercation and she had called, the police and the police came and in the heat of the moment, uh, when the police arrived, Jeff had actually assaulted one of the police officers and mm. fled the scene, um, and escaped basically to New York. Um, and okay. was kind of like hiding out there. So I think what that did for Antonio was give him this extra layer of like guilt um, it, like an internal guilt that he has a kid, you know, he has someone at home waiting for him, wondering where he is, who's dependent right. on right. him. Um, and he's still like, he can't face it. He can't go back. He can only go forward. And I think that helped Antonio like get into the headspace. And I think that's, you know, one version of who Jeff could be. I think, Jeff could be really anyone with any type of backstory. And what I love about the film is that people can kind of like pin their own ideas of who he is onto him. And like you guys kind of alluded to in the beginning, like you each had your own ideas of like where this was going and who this guy was. Um, So I love that, that the audience can kind of fill in the blank space with their own ideas of like who this person could be. And I think it's interesting to to say that in order to like fully buy into the story, you kind of have to do that, right? You have to like give him a personality and like a backstory to, to understand or try to understand why he's doing what he's doing. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Totally. And, and as a, you know, just from like the script standpoint, you know, it is really interesting to, to, to see how, um, the director really helps, you know, the character understand who they are. Cause that's such an essential thing. And, um, I think 
it was just, it was, it was crazy because on the second day of shooting was actually when we started doing, or no, it was the third day of shooting. Um, we started doing all of the city shots and, you know, if you notice a lot of it, like Julian really, Julian and our DP, John Kopich, they, you know, they wanted to do much more of like a handheld thing when you were with him because you're in the moment, you feel like you're a part of that scene and you can really witness almost, you witness him the way that he sees himself. And then when you see him on the street, from across the street, from down the street, from when he, you know, is interacting or catcalling people, um, you see him how, how the, how the public sees him and you really get in it and that's locked off. And those are, that was all shot on stick. So it's like these two different kind of, uh, fields of vision, but when we did the street shots, you know, from my perspective, Julian was directing and I just was witnessing from the side, but like, you know, Antonio like was fully immersed in this character all day. And there were moments where he was, he really was catcalling people. He was yelling out on the street. He started getting, I, you know, he was, he had a few drinks to like in the, in this moment, just to kind of like feel that, you know, that surge of like, what, how would I behave if I was in this moment where I was actually drinking? Um, and, and, you know, he was sitting down on the sidewalk, he was talking and interacting with, with people. And I I think somebody even gave him some money. Um, and, Mm. (laughs) um, and I, I, I just, I was so blown away because he was a completely different person than the friend of mine that I, 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 I pitched an outline to on Instagram messenger, you know, like it, 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 was really just surreal to see that because he really became this person. He really fully immersed himself. And I don't think he would have been able to do it without that backstory that Julian helped him find. Yeah, to- totally. And uh, you know, you just from watching it, it's clear he was really locked in. Um, and you know, I can tell that I happen to be an, ac- an extra in one of the shots. Uh, see if you can find where it is listeners. Ooh. Yeah. How, um, do, how do we go? How do we go an hour? But without I, and I want to, I do, I do want to get into <laughs> production, getting, talking about the production stuff, but uh, Jay, I thought, I think you might've had one more question. We can talk oh, about the stuff. Yeah. The I, I did have one question and this is what I was thinking. Um, I think after, um, I think after he left the brunch, when he just went to the bathroom and then left. Um, and I guess at the end too, but how, how do you think Jeff would react if, you know, he ran into one of these ladies that he had wronged on the street and they confronted mm. him? And then, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I was just, I just kept thinking about that. Like, what if he sees somebody? Like, even though he's changing clothes and maybe he's in different neighborhoods, but you could still, you know, you recognize faces, especially if it was like a traumatic experience for you. Yeah. I, Julian, Julian, I think that's you. Uh, yeah, I think that's something that he probably hasn't thought about and maybe if that did happen to him it might make him think twice about what he's doing maybe that confrontation would trigger something to set him straight like i don't know i don't know what he would do in that situation i think it would depend on like where he was at you know with with his life with his stage of um, addiction and, and different things that he's dealing with. If he was ready to maybe apologize or come clean or have a conversation about his lifestyle and how he may have wronged somebody. I I don't know. I, I think from where he's at in this film, it would take him a while to get there. So maybe he would deny it. Maybe he would play it off. Maybe he would just like run away. I don't know. Yeah. I would, I would say going back to New York as a character, 
it's totally possible to to do this sort of thing for a long time and not not bump into anybody if you're totally. if you're bouncing <laughs> totally. around different neighborhoods i mean if you're if you're you know you don't have a steady place to live you could you know you could be in queens one night you know and if he's been doing it for a while he probably has safe spaces around the city it's it's That's true yeah. and also i'd like to say that you know again i can't speak for women who have gone through something like this but you know there may be a fear on the woman's behalf of totally. like confronting a male who is more powerful um who you know they may be afraid to confront you know i i think like yeah. i've seen uh women who are like oh i dated that guy we had a weird date like from across the bar and you know they don't confront that person like hey what the fuck is wrong with you you're a weirdo you know it's just kind of this like oh i you know went on a date with that guy so yeah. you know it's it's an interesting dynamic i but you hit on something I think that's important to talk about. Totally. Yeah. And um, yeah, as, as I said, um, Antonio was, I, I was on set for this. This is my clever segue into talking about production. Um, I was on set for the, uh, the brunch scene actually as an extra. And it, it was, it was uh, certainly the biggest production that I, that I've been on Connor and I've worked on a couple, you know, smaller sort of comedy short video projects. And, and this one was like, I was like, wow, this is, these really, they're really doing it. And this, this is great. And I, you know, is able to see Antonio's a little bit of his process from a distance. And um, so I do want you, yeah, I want you guys to talk a little bit about um, challenges that you encountered in, in production elements. Um, also the festival circuit, um, those applications and so forth. But before all that, I do want to say, <laughs> my my uh my scene my scene partner in this background was a guy now i don't know listeners probably know have an idea of what it's like being extra but and this was this was a really well-run set so we were there maybe two hours uh if if that which is which is a really short time for this sort of thing because everything was moving so sl- smoothly but the guy sitting across from me at, at the table he had this bowl of oatmeal that he had to pretend to eat and he, and he was just like he was kept talking about it and like while this like while the 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 shot was going on he was still talking and i had to sort of tell him hey dude like we're supposed to be miming talking just so just keep it down a little bit and he kept oh talking about this oatmeal and he put some ketchup in it he's just like maybe ketchup. this will help it uh taste better and i'm like don't well don't eat you don't have to eat all of it. Like, look, I got this plate of eggs. He's like, can I trade? I'm like, well, no, I don't think you can do it. Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, he was super nice and kind of jovial about it, but I don't know like that. If you want to start with that as an entrance point, um, production wise, that that is so funny. And honestly, thank you for, for coming through and like being an extra in our, in our film. We needed all the happy, happy to. So that was awesome. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, production was crazy, uh, for several reasons. Uh, you know, the first being that we were shooting on film, 16 millimeter film, which is something that, uh, was new to me as a director. This was the first film I had shot or directed on 16 millimeter. So that in itself was kind of a a learning curve. Why, Why did you guys make that choice? Um, I, it was something that I was really adamant about. Um, it was something that if, if 
if we were going to tell this story about the city and about the people of New York, I wanted it to have the, the look of film. You know, I felt that uh, for me, there's just a look to film that you can't get shooting digitally and an authenticity to it. And it allows people to like escape into the story, I think more than, than a digital film does. And um, I just thought that it would give a grittiness and a realness to it that I thought would be important with this particular story. Um, And it was a decision that we made uh, that wasn't easy because we had to find the resources to be able to afford the, the film stock and the processing and, you know, the, uh, the DP actually my, is my buddy, John, who Connor mentioned, and he's an amazing DP. And he had a film, a 16 millimeter film camera that he graciously donated to the production. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an effort, you know, to try to put together the resources to actually shoot on film. Cause you know, right. this day and age, you don't have to, you you definitely don't have to shoot on film, but it was an aesthetic choice that I think was important to us for the story. Um, So that was a challenge. And then, you know, another one of the challenges was just working with, you know, again, with limited resources and people's schedules and, you know, uh, having locations donated to the production. So we had like specific times that we had to work in. And um, while, while, you know, we shot in uh, this one particular location that had multiple areas within it that we were able to, to use, um, but we could only be in the spaces for certain times during the day. And so we had to like work within those time constraints and around like our actors' schedules. And, yeah, um, that and that that was that was challenge, that, but yeah, that was, go ahead. That was Antonio's friend that 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 hooked us up with the location as well uh, over at the flower shop. That's where we shot a lot of that stuff. But um, Will Tish, uh, the owner of the bar, just essentially just said you guys can use it, and that was incredibly incredibly helpful because yeah, that you was know, a game changer because that place is amazing. I mean, because once you can root a, a, a location in a day on on you know, we wanted to start with you know something tactile tactile that you know we could be like all right we're going to get these shots on this specific day and and um we started you know scheduling everything um but that really kind of put it in motion and i just wanted to go back really quick because you know i i remember out of everything that i had shot or like you know any film production i had been a part of um I always just assumed that, you know, we do this digitally because that is what everybody had essentially done. Um, and, and then as soon as Julian brought up, he wanted to shoot it on film. Um, the meeting a- after and like, or right after the meeting, I remember like leaving and I was just like, oh, okay, this just got real. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I was like, all right, now we need to find, we need to find the money for this. And um, I remember asking myself that question, like, I, I don't know, like, is this is going to be, this is going to become like something much bigger than just like a side project like this, you know, this essentially became like a real like thing. And, and, and then we had to, all of us just had to give not like 100% of ourselves. And, you know, there would be people that, you know, weren't a part of the project from the beginning that, you know, would, would, would miss a, miss something or, you know, would drop out mm. of the project or, you know, something didn't work mm-hmm. out. And, and, and a lot of it comes to, you know, uh, you know, relationships you have with the person or, and then you, 
just finding and trying to cast like, hey, we need we need just like a line producer to help us with experience to, sh- you know, somebody that's shot in New York before, like, what would we do? And, you know, we were talking to a few people and I, I didn't get overwhelmed, but I just realized how much work we really had cut out for us. And Julian was really like just composed and kept it together. And I was like, Oh man, like I, 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 I just was, I just remember that it wasn't until like two, like this was like months before we even started shooting. And then I think it didn't really fully come together. Like until like the week that we shot, because we found like one, it's amazing. Like what one person can help you with in terms of resources. Like John came with like, he helped us like fill in, you know, like our gaffers and our grips and, 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 you know, like even like our PAs that we had a, a, a tremendous amount of help and people just really, you know, cared about this as much as, as much as we did. And, you know, we, it just really shows you how much of a team effort, you know, any kind of filmmaking, any, any film is, and, and you can't do it without everybody else. And it just, it really like when, when it came through, uh, you know, we went out and kind of went to, we, we met a few night or the night before the shoot to like, you know, go over the shot list and in our schedule and everything. And Julian and I just kind of sat there and we were like, it's not, we haven't even started shooting yet, but the fact that we have these people slated to be at this location and this thing is going to happen, like it was like the most surreal experience to like actually pull that thing off. And so it's just, you know, for Julian to keep his cool like that. And it just was like a really, um, it was just a really surreal thing. Yeah. yeah and I, I think also that film, like ha- having film and shooting on film, like just raised the stakes for everyone. And yeah. it, raised the level of quality that people wanted to give to the project. And I think that ultimately helped us. Um, And, you know, I think something that you commented on when you were on set, just how smoothly it ran. And I think just knowing that we were shooting on film, like uh, motivated people to kind of just be really um, in it, in the process and giving their creative a hundred percent. And I, you know, I think it just raised the stakes and I, I was super grateful to everybody and I, I think it was the right decision. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, having done my own productions on, you know, a, definitely a, a considerably less lesser scale, but though I was able to get a restaurant um, for like one of my bigger projects and yeah, that's a game changer, especially if you have one that has sort of different decor and different corners of the space that you can sort of you know, framed. Oh yeah. You, to look you like can make things. that place like five different places. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, like I, I love that idea of, you know, it's an aesthetic choice to, to do, um, to do film versus digital, but it, it has the, uh, ancillary benefit of, yeah, people know, and the people you're working with are definitely savvy enough to know that, yeah, th- this isn't fuck around time because the film is expensive, um, working with it is just lo- more laborious. It's not like you buy an SD card, you know, for 20 bucks and, you know, that can record three hours of footage, you know? Yeah. I, th- I think it's the tell old, yeah, the tell old, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's like the tell old joke of, um, when you start shooting and, you know, you, you hear the camera rolling and, um, I've heard the joke before, but I even, I even said it myself. Like I leaned over to, 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 to Brad, one of the one of the people in the crew, and I was just like, "Do you hear that?" He was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "What does that sound like?" And he was like, 
And I was like, that's money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's an investment, but you know, the, then the rewards, uh, once, once it's all said and done are, are, are that yeah. so much the better. And it's funny. We, we almost had like an oops moment where, uh, the John was changing one of the film mags and he, he looks over at me and it's, he's like, dude, I don't know about this mag. Like it, it might've gotten exposed. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God. And he was, you could, like I could see the sweat on his face. He was so upset, and he he had his hands in the film bag, and he was just like this look of terror on his face. And I was like, "It's cool, man. Just take your time. We're good." And then ultimately, when he finished, we he was like, "We should reshoot that scene." And I was like, "Okay, I trust you." So we reshot the scene that he wasn't sure about if we had you know accidentally exposed the film, um, and and we ended up using the the reshoot in the final cut so it's kind of one mm. of those fun little stories that's like you know it was just meant to happen that way but ultimately he didn't mess anything up and the film was perfect but you know it's just yeah like, it's it, I, it's this added level of like oh my god what are we doing <laughs> and i will yeah i would i should compliment you as well julian and and you as well connor for for keeping a cool cool head when it at least when i again it was, i only saw you for three hours or so um, but keeping a calm demeanor when everyone else, and in this case, what they were like, what, 25 people there, uh, just between, you know, the crew, uh, the actors, um, PAs, et cetera. Um, keeping a level head is important as, as a director because they're all looking at you. They're looking to you for, for direction. <laughs> yeah. Shout out, shout out to John Derry, by the way, because he, he, oh, yeah. he was our, uh, he was, he was Julian's first AD. first AD. He was amazing. A uh, friend of mine. Can, do you want to explain a little yeah. bit what, uh, what an AD does just for people? Who yes, know. definitely. And this is something, you know, I come from a, like a pretty scrappy film background. Like I didn't have ADs or first ADs for the majority of my career up to this point. Um, but just in the last year, I've started to be able to afford them and have them on set. And I can't tell you the difference that having a great first AD makes. Right. Um, because a first AD is someone who's going to, one, and most importantly, look at your script, look at your shot list, um, and devise a plan, a plan of attack in terms of a schedule. How are we going to arrange the shots in the most like efficient way to make sure that we get everything in the time that we have at the location and they're just thinking more logistically, which allows me as the director to free up some mental space for the creative and think more about like character and delivery of lines and like, uh, you know, looking visually at the shots and, and just not having to think of those stressful items of like, oh my God, we have 30 minutes to get this shot and then we have to be out of the location. Like, just having somebody who I knew had my back who was like on my side and watching time and stuff like that um, just helped me kind of free up that creative space. So I recommend, you know, finding a a first AD or even a friend, you know, and and just like having that crew position because it is someone who I never really like even knew what a first AD did. Uh, when I first started my career. Um, but, you know, as I've gotten more experience and been on bigger and bigger sets, you realize how crucial it is to have a great first AD. Yeah. 
they, uh, they be, he John became a he was a, he was a hound dog, you know, like he yeah. really he like he, he, was, he was keeping us in yeah. check. He was yelling at us. He was like, guys, we got it. We got to keep moving now. And yeah. um and and you realize that you know that is that is coming from a place of love because he wanted to you know he we needed to we needed to get to the next location and then all of a sudden yeah, it's like good cop bad cop you know it, yeah he, he Derek John mm, was the yeah. the bad guy he was the he, he was the bad guy so 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 Julian can be uh, the warm loving uh, Papa Bear <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally um, now Jay Jay uh, I noticed you you perked up a little bit when I said that. Uh, Maybe twenty minutes ago, I, I was an extra in the background. Is that <laughs> surprising to you? Yeah, I, I did not notice you in there. Huh? I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go back, rewatch now, just to look for you. Okay, yeah, you look for me. Um, <laughs> um, well, we we can start wrapping up then. Um, if uh, if Jay, if you, if you had any closing thing or, or just um, questions about production generally, as more of a you know, appreciator, or, you know, audience member, no, I, necessarily I, engaged I'm, in production. Although, I'm, on my next project, uh, you may get an email. So, hmm. <laughs> hmm. Uh, no, no, no real questions about it. I, I thought it. I mean, I I liked it overall. I guess that's that's my final impression. Um, I, I think you guys did a great job, and. Um, I enjoyed it. I'm going to, you know, recommend it to to other people. Cool. Well, why don't we, before we get, sorry, uh, we'll do some closing stuff, but, um, and if you guys want to talk about what, what you're doing next or or what the plan is, uh, you know, film festival wise, this Vimeo thing, which seems, seems amazing. Uh, Connor, you want to take that? Uh, no, I can actually turn it over to Julian because, uh, these were some of the things that he notified me about. You know, we had some great news with other festivals um, earlier this year. Obviously, some of them have been remote because of the pandemic that's going on. Um, but the the launch that's happening um, for the release of this uh, this week is 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 pretty cool. Yeah, no, we're we're super excited. Um, the film is launching as a Vimeo staff pick on Wednesday, July first. Um, it's going to be on director's notes. It's going to be on film shortage um, all on Wednesday. So we're super excited to kind of share it with the world. Um, but yeah, the the film festival thing, that's like a, a conversation for another day, honestly, because <laughs> there's so much to unpack there. And I think, you know, we were just trying, Connor and I were just trying to navigate like, okay, where, <laughs> where do we want to submit this thing? What are the festivals that we want to... Uh, potentially look at for this short where do we think we can even get in um right and and luckily we we did get some positive responses we've got into a few festivals we're waiting to hear for you know from like at least 10 more so the the film uh life the life of this film is not over hopefully um we like you know seeing we've got- people's hearing people's thoughts and seeing their reactions and stuff um but yeah, hopefully the the life of the film is not over, and I hope everyone goes to check it out when it's online. Awesome! Yeah, can you uh, either you or Connor, if you want to give out um, where people can reach you, if if you want to, or where they can what they should search for. I'll I'll put links for this um, in the show notes for the description. But it's always good to say it on the on the show as well. Um, totally. Should they just. Google Sick Boy Vimeo. Yeah, I, I think the easiest way for people to probably find it is on Wednesday. 
Um, go check out the Vimeo staff picks and it should be there. Um, it's called sick boy. That's probably the easiest way to find it. Um, and yeah, you, you can check me out on my website, julianmuller.com or on Instagram, uh, at julianopia. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And you can find me as well at, at, uh, Connor with one N, uh, Connor Champley, uh, com as well as, uh, my username on Instagram is at Connor Champley. Cool. And, uh, oh, yeah. And forgot to, forgot to mention, uh, sick boy actually does have an Instagram page as well. Um, which is, oh, uh, yeah. at, yeah. at sick boy film, um, where we, you know, if you want to keep up to date with how the film is doing, um, behind the scenes, um, updates, etc. Um, anything that you need, um, you can direct message the account, um, if you have any questions, um, but that's where you can find us. Definitely. Definitely. Listeners do that immediately. Um, and definitely be sure to watch it uh, this Wednesday, July 1st. Uh, great. Well, thanks again, Connor and Julian. Really appreciate it. Best of luck with uh, with this. I'm sure, um, you know, when this gets exposed to a wider audience, you're going to get a lot, a lot of positive feedback. I, I can already see that coming. Well, hey, Cal, that, yeah. that means a lot. Thanks a lot. And uh, great talking to you, Jay. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank both of you for coming. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having uh, us on. It was a lot of fun. All right. Sick boy. <laughs> you get this. Just.